Welcome to part two of the dog aging study. We're going to dive right in. You've got a study here that, I mean, it's pretty impressive. Um, and it has a fair number of moving parts, not the least of which is the, are the participants. Um, how do you, I mean, what's, so of that, what's the subset, the total subset, actually sounds like there's, there's three to four subsets here, of, of animals, dogs that you'll be working with and, and, how is that? I mean, you're talking about sending in fecal samples and blood tests. I mean, do yeah. they, will these people, I mean, the fecal samples are relatively easy because we pick them up every day, but the, the other stuff, how do you, how are you going to, how are you going to manage that? I mean, that's an, almost a, a, you know, an Amazon-esque type uh, of venture there. It, it is. And you know, that the 80,000 people who have signed up, um, we had a big launch last year and, and almost all of them signed up last year. They have been, so patient. Um, they're just waiting for us to start. And the reason it's taking so long is because we are building this massive uh, logistics pipeline to collect all these things. It's, it's a big challenge. So, um, there, so we're, we're hoping that for, for the number of, of dogs uh, for which we just have um, survey data, the sky is the limit. My hope is that we'll have more than 100,000 completed surveys every year. The more we have, the more we can learn, the more we can share with the owners and help them to help their dogs live long, healthy, long lives. The number of dogs for which we collect samples totals 10,000. And that's just limited by the amount of funding that we have. If we can raise more money, we will sample more dogs. The, so there, there are about 8,500 dogs that will have genome sampled. There are about 1,000 dogs that will have that, plus all the other uh, blood and hair and fecal samples. So the owners are going to get a kit in the mail to do a cheek swab, and that kit will include a box that they just pop back in the mail and goes right to our sequencing facility to sequence the genome. For the blood and hair and fecal samples, the owner will get a bigger box that has about 14 different collection vials. They will bring that to their veterinarian. The veterinarian will take all of those samples and then ship it to our lab facility. The lab facility will then process all those samples. And if they need further processing, they'll then go to a subsequent laboratory. So putting all of this, uh, setting all of this up, as you point to, is a big logistics challenge. Um, it's really expensive, and that's what our grant covers. So the, this doesn't cost the participants anything. Um, and in fact, our goal is to provide some financial support um, to those who need it to, you know, if people are, uh, if bringing the, the, dog to the veterinarian every year is a financial challenge. We will try and help people out because we want people from all walks of life to participate. So I love the fact that dogs are as diverse as they are. A really important part of the study is that they're in diverse environments as well. So that means that our people participants are, are diverse just like the dog participants. So from really from all walks of life, um, both rich and poor and and living everywhere in the country. So uh, just quickly, uh, when I was reading about the extension of 
the dog's life, one of the first things that came to my mind was the benefits to people with service dogs um, and how important that's going to be. I mean, the, I guess the average working life, uh, working career of a dog, a service dog is like around eight years. So if you could probably extend that working uh, relationship another just two or three years would be an amazing uh, uh, benefit to the people who need these service dogs. That's a great point, Gardner. Um, we actually are working with a, a terrific outfit in Santa Rosa, California called Canine Companions for Independence. They train dogs to help uh, people in wheelchairs, veterans with PTSD, uh, people with hearing impairment, and their investment, they, they have a major financial investment in training every dog and, main, and, and helping keep that dog healthy for its life. And so they're, they're not interested, not only are they interested in whether we can help that dog live longer, but they also would like to know, are there ways that we can predict in a one or two year old dog, which one is going to have a longer working life? That would be really helpful. If there's a dog that is not going to have a very long working life, they would like to be able to predict that so that they can maybe place that dog in, in a home um, as a pet and not as a working dog. We call and, them career change dogs. Yeah, so imagine if you could predict that when the dog is one or two, you could save a lot of, of investment. So um, we actually uh, are working with Evan McLean, who at uh, University of Arizona who studies canine cognition and he works with canine companions for independence. So we wanna know, can we predict those dogs that maintain high cognitive function for a long time and those that don't? Um, now I was a, uh, I was a uh, dialysis um, uh, tech. Um, and one of the big things that everybody was talking about and everybody's hoping gonna happen is the artificial kidney. And now this probably doesn't deal with your study, but could you, is there, the, I, the last thing we all heard was that the artificial kidney was being worked on with dogs at this point. Is that, and, and then with the rapamycin, is that something that's being done? Um, so uh, I, I am not familiar with that. What, what, I, what I can tell you though is um, th those kinds of projects um, typically are done uh, with uh, dogs in laboratories. And we aren't doing anything at all with dogs in laboratories. Our studies are, uh, for the majority, we're just observing people's pet dogs. And the one study that involves an intervention that we've already discussed, the rapamycin study, um, is with people's pet dogs and only with people who choose to participate. Um, so, the, but the important thing, so there's, um, you know, there's a, a really interesting project uh, that was created by um, people with type one diabetes and their friends. Um, that's an artificial pancreas. Um, and so it involves, uh, a smartwatch and a glucose monitor and a little computer that you can carry around. People are now, uh, people with diabetes are able to treat themselves with insulin automatically and it dramatically improves their quality of life with a little computer they carry around and it talks to their smartphone. The important thing about this is that it's open source. That means that 
anybody in the world can buy these parts for a couple hundred dollars and program them and have their own artificial pancreas if they don't have a working pancreas. The, 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 the reason I mention that as a kind of analogy is that everything that we do is open source. So we're, we're transparent about what we're doing and all the data that we collect, we're going to share with everybody around the world. We see this project as creating a kind of public good that taxpayers like you pay to support the National Institute of Health and they provide us with the money to do the study. And one of the things that we need to do is share the data that we collect with the community to give that public good back to everybody. Our team is about 50, well, more than 50 people now. We're still not big enough to study everything given how much data we're going to collect. And so we want to put these data in everybody's hands so we can learn as much as possible as quickly as possible. Um, so what we're doing, like the artificial pancreas, it's all open source, open data, um, so that we, we can share not just what we learn, but we can share data so that other people can learn things as well from what we're doing. This is being funded uh, by an you know, incredibly large organization that covers uh, aging across the board. Yeah. 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 So, so much of what we know about aging and, and really about most of the diseases that are, uh, whose study uh, is funded by the National Institutes of Health, we know from uh, lab studies, not in humans, but in bacteria and flies and yeast and little nematode worms. And that's true for aging. So, you know, I, I earlier in our conversation, I was telling you about insulin growth factor one, this gene that's associated with size in dogs and is also associated with aging. We learned about the role that insulin, the insulin pathway plays in aging from this little nematode worm that is about the size of a pencil dot called Cenorhabditis elegans. So the National Institute on Aging is in the business of supporting studies that will help us understand the causes and consequences of aging. Ultimately, they're interested in helping people, but so much of what we learn that can help people, we learn from these model systems. And what's cool about the dog is that it, it's not a model like a fly or a worm. It's an animal that we love. I certainly love my dog. Um, and so, What's different is that studying the dog may well teach us a lot about environmental and genetic factors that we share with dogs. And so it will teach us about aging in dogs, but it can also help us in the way that it can help dogs be healthier longer. And that's good for dogs and for the owners who get to share more time with their beloved pets. So it's a kind of unique study in that way. That's fascinating. I mean, I, and I have two questions. One is going to take us way over the time that we've been allotted, but so I'll go with the simple one. Uh, what kind of dog do you have? Um, so I have a true all American mutt. Um, she's uh, part chow chow, part German shepherd, part cocker spaniel. Um, that makes up about three quarters of what she is according to the genetics and the rest we have no idea. And she's 14 and going strong. She's about 45 wow. pounds. 
So on that for a second, so, I mean, just broad strokes, I know this is part of what you're studying and we've touched on this with different breeds is a, is, is a mixed breed dog in general likelier to live longer? Great question. Uh, on average, mixed breed dogs of a given size live about a year longer than purebreds of the same size, but there's a lot of variation. So there are some breeds that tend to be short-lived and some that tend to be long-lived, but on average, mixed breed dogs are longer-lived. Um, that is not to say that people should have mixed breed dogs rather than purebred dogs. There are, dog choice is such a personal thing and there are wonderful dogs of all kinds, short-lived and long-lived. Um, so I, I think it's a real personal decision, but we do know that on average, mixed breed dogs are longer-lived. So on that thread, uh... Is there such a thing as dog years? I mean, do is I heard you know I've heard a couple of things. We always learn that it's seven years. A dog year is seven years. Is that is there something to that? Um, so yes and no. It's breed specific. So you know we we know that a Great Dane um, might only live seven or eight years. That's a pretty good lifespan for a Dane. Whereas uh, a Chihuahua, almost all Chihuahuas will outlive that Great Dane that dies or seven, at seven or eight by many, many years. So, you know, the, the average human lifespan um, is somewhere around the 80s, depending on which country you're talking about, whether you're talking about men or women, women live longer than men. So, um, yeah, you know that. So that mapping of dog years to human years depends on which dog. Okay. All right. So, all right. I've got my dog. I want to enroll it. Um, it is it just as easy as going to the dogagingproject.org and uh, following the links and getting the ball rolling? Uh, yeah. So the first thing you're going to do is just go to dogagingproject.org, click on the link to enroll your dog. And you're going to have to answer just a few questions. Uh, you know, what zip code you live in and a few questions about your dog. And then within a couple of months, um, we'll just ask you to please be patient. We will send you an invitation to fill out a much longer survey. It's going to take a few hours um, to tell us all about your dog. And once you complete that survey, you will then get a certificate and you will get a number. You will be officially a member of the Dog Aging Project Pack for the life of that dog. You will then be invited to also send us an electronic medical record if your veterinarian uses electronic medical records. Um, and the reason is we just don't have the capacity to handle handwritten records. If you don't have uh, electronic medical records from your veterinarian, that's okay. You're still in the dog aging project um, and you will be a part of the project for the life of the dog. Good. Um, Just on the follow up on that. So you mentioned um, again, I think at least three, if not four subgroups of, of study. Um, and one of those was the DNA test. So is, is, so by default, someone who gets into that subgroup, would have the DNA test done for their dog. 
Um, is there a way to, so you're going to probably select who goes in those groups, I guess is the question. That That's right. And um, those groups will be selected to make sure we have the, the maximum amount of diversity in terms of age and size and breed and region of the country. Um, except for the, the rapamycin study, the, all of those dogs um, are going to be large breed middle-aged dogs. Um, right now, because of the funding that we have, we, we have enough funding to sequence 10,000 dogs, which is a lot. Um, we will certainly try and raise more money uh, to sequence more dogs. We're not currently set up um, in a way that would allow people who have funds, if they're not chosen to be sequenced, to have a sequence them anyway, but certainly I hope that in the future we will be able to do that as well. One of the things that I thought was really neat was the, you know, how, uh, what's going to happen with your dog is, are you going to, that you're going to be putting uh, some sort of a, uh, electronics on a collar to see how they're moving and what they're doing and um is that just really quickly because i know we're running out of time but is that something that all dogs are going to be having the study um so we're we're really interested in that and um we will do at least 1500 of those dogs will have activity what we call acti activity monitors um if we can fund more activity monitors we will put more activity monitors in dogs. We're really interested in how age affects how much dogs move around and how the amount that dogs move around affects aging. So that's a big part of our study. Well, I think, Dave, do you have any other questions or? Uh, I have lots of questions, but uh, we, we're gonna go, it's gonna go way beyond. I mean, I, I, Dan, this is, uh, when Gardner told me about this, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it, and it, I thought it was, but just, we've just begun to pull at the thread here. I mean, it's, it's, uh, this is a fascinating project you're involved with here. Well, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. And, and um, Dave and Gardner, I would love to come back once we actually have started collecting data and have some stories to tell about what we're seeing in a year or two. Um, I'd love to, to keep the conversation going. That would be great. We really like that. Okay, so go to dogagingproject.org um, and sign up and then got to be patient and then people will be able to do what they love to do is talk and fill out stuff about their dog. Um, and is there, are you looking for small donations or are you going for the big stuff with uh, um, big donations? Are you finding that people can donate a certain amount of money or? or if. If, thanks for asking that. If people would like to uh, support the project, um, on the website there is a donate button and they can donate either through the University of Washington or through Texas A&M University, which is where our chief veterinary officer is. And so they're our lead partner. Um, these are tax deductible donations and all the money uh, goes to doing the science. It doesn't go to me or anybody else directly. Um, and we welcome very small donations. If anybody out there um, has the means to uh, make a major donation, would like to have a bigger impact and maybe help fund a particular project, um, we would welcome them to, to reach out to us and, and sit down and have a conversation about how they might be more involved through larger gifts as well. 
One yeah. last question. The, fa- the UW mascot, did that help you get any funding for this? <laughs> well, so the UW mascot is a Husky, of course, and the Texas A&M mascot is a Collie, but we love all dogs. They are, like they say, all, they're all good boys, all those dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and girls. And girls, yeah. Yeah. Well, fascinating. Uh, yeah, we're going to, we'll put this up and we'll help, we'll, you know, we'll help promote and we'll uh, look forward to bringing you back on and getting some updates. Terrific. Thank you so much for your interest. I really appreciate it. And, and thanks to your listeners in advance for, for uh, signing up their dogs. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, we look forward to getting an update on all your hard work. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.